It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 382 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called Problem Solving. It is October 23rd, 2022, and this is Jen. So I'm going to start off with one thing that is absolutely not a problem and then ease you into the rest. Life at Blizzard, that Twitter account, highlighted Brie Delgado, who is a game producer for Overwatch, and this is what she had to say about it in a lovely little thing that Life at Blizzard does where they put a little picture of the person and give them the opportunity to say something about themselves. So this is what Brie Delgado wrote. When I started college, I didn't really know anyone or know what kind of clubs to join or how to meet new people. At my student orientation, there was a table for a gaming club that also participated in competitions. I have always been a huge FPS player, so I asked how I could get involved with the club. I became a member, and halfway through that year, the Overwatch beta was released, and I got super involved in playing in and organizing local competitions for Overwatch. After I saw how much of an amazing effect Blizzard games had on even a small scale, I wanted to be part of it on an even larger scale, which is what made me apply to my first role with Blizzard on College Overwatch. And that's from Brie Delgado. I like that they're highlighting people that are, you know, doing things. It's, it kind of, in my opinion, and I may be wrong, but we all know that as soon as something goes wrong in a video game or isn't launched on time or some player or players don't like whatever was added for whatever reason they may have or what was taken away, they all go and yell at the devs. You know, they go find people that are like game producers and you know, developers and they all go yell at them and then they'll target the account with the game. So like when a lot of people were really upset about all of the uh, cash grab in Diablo Immortal, a lot of them would wait for the Diablo Immortal account to say something, anything, and then start, you know, yelling things at them. Um, I think that Life at Blizzard, by highlighting people who are working on the games and are involved in the games in some way, even if it's, you know, whether it's QA or development or art or whatever it is, you know, music, this makes it very clear that these are real people and you shouldn't be yelling at them for stuff that's probably out of their control. So I like that Life at Blizzard is doing this and I'm going to keep bringing it into my show as you know, whenever they highlight someone else. The Verge has this article called Microsoft is building an Xbox mobile gaming store to take on Apple and Google. Good luck with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yeah, I'll read you a little bit of this. Microsoft is building an Xbox mobile store to directly offer games on mobile devices, challenging Apple and Google. The software giant first hinted at a next-generation store it would build for games earlier this year, but has now quietly revealed details of the plans in filings with the UK's Competition and Market Authority, CMA. As you might recall from many previous episodes, the uh, CMA is... Uh, investigating Microsoft over whether or not they can uh, acquire Activision Blizzard King. Long story short, you know, it's going to, the investigation is over a $68.7 billion acquisition 
and has asked Microsoft for more context in its filings. Microsoft says a big motivation for the purchase is to help build out its mobile gaming presence. Its plans for this space apparently include creating an Xbox mobile gaming platform and store. Here's what the company says in the filings. Here's a little blurb about it from the filings. And again, this is on The Verge. The transaction will improve Microsoft's ability to create a new generation game store which operates across a range of devices, including mobile, as a result of the addition of Activision Blizzard's content. Building on Activision Blizzard's existing communities of gamers, Xbox will seek to scale the Xbox store to mobile, attracting gamers to a new Xbox mobile platform. Shifting consumers away from the Google Play Store and App Store on mobile devices will, however, require a major shift shift in consumer behavior. Microsoft hopes that by offering well-known and popular content, gamers will be more inclined to try something new. And that happens. I mean, you know, Diablo Immortals got a bunch of people playing. Maybe not as many as the company would have hoped based on, you know, shenanigans early on, but that's what they're that's what Microsoft is aiming for, and I think if you're a, you know, primarily a gaming company and in addition to other things, if the gaming section of your company needs to grow, Mobile's a way to do it, because there's a lot of people that play on mobile games. The Verge continues, um, Call of Duty Mobile and Candy Crush Saga are two hugely popular mobile games published by Activision and King, respectively, and Microsoft could leverage these titles to help build out a game store to rival Google Play and the App Store. Given Apple's policies blocking third-party stores on iOS, it's difficult to imagine Microsoft competing on iPhones anytime soon, but that's clearly not stopping it from envisioning an Xbox mobile app store. Microsoft's acknowledgement of a mobile gaming push comes as the company increasingly positions Xbox Cloud Gaming as an option for mobile gaming on emerging handhelds. Microsoft was quick to support Xbox Cloud Gaming on Valve's Steam Deck, followed by a partnership with Logitech and Razer for their cloud gaming-focused handhelds. That means a push into mobile gaming could happen on multiple fronts, not just on phones and tablets. Beyond hardware, there's a lot of revenue at stake here, too. Games are some of the most popular downloads on mobile and drive in app purchases on app stores. Here's another blurb from the uh, the thing that Microsoft is doing for the CMA. The transaction gives Microsoft a meaningful presence in mobile gaming. Mobile gaming revenues from the King division and titles such as Call of Duty Mobile, as well as ancillary revenue, represented more than half of Activision Blizzard's revenues in the first half of 2022. Mobile customers account for around three-quarters of its MAU. Microsoft currently has no meaningful presence in mobile gaming, and the transaction will bring much-needed expertise in mobile game development, marketing, and advertising. Activision Blizzard will be able to contribute its learnings from developing and publishing mobile games to Xbox gaming studios. But the CMA apparently... um, is not really keen on this from the look of it. And there's a chart here about the rise of gaming revenue and all of this other stuff. One more little blurb from The Verge. The company seems to be laying the groundwork here by committing to a set of principles that would allow developers to freely run their own app store on its Xbox mobile platform and offer their own payment systems to process in-app purchases. That's a benefit Apple certainly doesn't offer. 
parentheses, these commitments don't fully extend to Xbox consoles yet, but Microsoft said earlier this year it's, quote, committed to closing the gap on the remaining principles over time, end quote. So that's pretty much all you need to know. There's a lot more in this article if you want to read the whole thing, and everything I talk about on the show will be over at ShatteredSoulStone.com, where I put all the show notes and links to everything. Forbes has an article titled, Microsoft Reveals Sony's Activision Deal is Blocking Call of Duty from Game Pass. Here's from this. I think I mentioned a little bit about this in the previous show. So Forbes wrote this. While we may have all suspected this was probably the case, Microsoft, as part of its ongoing effort to get its acquisition of Activision Blizzard approved, has revealed that Sony has been blocking Call of Duty from coming to Game Pass and may continue to block it even if the deal ultimately goes through. As part of yet another document detailing Microsoft's case to the UK's CMA that Sony isn't on a level playing field with all this, they said the following about the current deal between Sony and Activision Blizzard. Quote, The agreement between Activision Blizzard and Sony includes restrictions on the ability of Activision Blizzard to place Call of Duty title on Game Pass for a number of years. That's a quote. This is significant because this is part of the deal that Phil Spencer was referencing when he said Microsoft had the, quote, intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Some reporting indicates that this old Sony-Activision deal will last into 2024. So what that means in practice is that even if Microsoft does not acquire Activision Blizzard, they have committed to the public, Sony and regulators, that not only will they not rip Call of Duty off PlayStation, but that they won't even give themselves an advantage by putting Call of Duty on Game Pass for that period of time. There's some other quotes in here. What's not clear is the contents of the additional deal that Phil Spencer says he worked out with Sony, which Jim Ryan deemed unsatisfactory and said it was for only three years. It may be that Spencer just promised that Call of Duty would not go exclusive within that time frame, as I have a very hard time, this writer says, believes believing that Spencer would commit to three additional years of Call of Duty game not being on Game Pass. That would seem un- somewhat untenable, albeit not impossible, with this latest reveal, I suppose. This would make the Call of Duty series an extremely standout exception to Microsoft's overall Game Pass plans, where pretty much every first-party game they launch or currently own ends up going to the service. The main draw of this Activision Blizzard deal in the first place for Xbox is likely the ability to put games like Call of Duty and Diablo 4 directly on Game Pass, but that's not currently possible, and Microsoft has agreed it will not be possible for at least another year or so. Gizmodo, of course, has an article about this because this is a big deal. Gizmodo's title for the article is Filing Show Microsoft Wants Its Own Xbox Mobile Gaming Shop. Such a store would put it in direct competition with Google and Apple, but Microsoft would need more than Activision Blizzard titles to make it worth perusing. The filing was prepared for the UK Competition and Markets Authority, the country's competition regular announced competition regular, I think it meant to regulator, uh, announced earlier this year it was probing the company over its plans for the acquisition because the UK is investigating whether the third largest tech company is trying to create a monopoly. Microsoft's language involved words like expand choice and bringing more games to mobile platforms. Further down the filing, the company said the buyout would improve Microsoft's ability to create a next generation game store, which operates across a range of devices, including mobile. This would supposedly add Activision Blizzard content, such as high-selling games like Call of Duty Mobile or the much more maligned Diablo Immortal. 
Buying out Activision Blizzard would also include King, the developer of longtime mobile mega-hit Candy Crush Saga. The filing noted Candy Crush was one of the main three main series that account for over three-quarters of Activision Blizzard's net revenue, other than Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. Putting such titles up on its mobile store would likely give the company a major boost to its nascent service. Uh, they mentioned a little bit about Epic Games and the spat it had with Apple, which I think most of you probably have heard of. If not, you can look it up in this particular article by Gizmodo. And TechCrunch says, Microsoft looks to build an Xbox mobile gaming store with Activision and King content. And I don't know if there's anything different in this one, because, you know, a lot of these companies just write the same content at the same time, but they have their own spin on it. So sometimes that's worth looking at. But I think we kind of went over all this stuff by the time I got to this one. But if you happen to prefer TechCrunch, it'll be in the show notes as well. I also have the actual um, thing from the the uh, Microsoft's response to the CMA's reference uh, decision regarding the Activision Blizzard acquisition. There's a lot of stuff in here. Uh, some of this I think I already talked about from those articles. Here, I'll, I'll read you a little bit here. The CMA's concerns are misplaced for the following reasons. Sony PlayStation has been the largest console platform for over 20 years, with an installed base of over 150 million consoles, making it larger than Nintendo and more than double the size of Xbox. Sony engages in conduct today which is reflective of its market power in console gaming, including increasing prices of its consoles without fear of losing market share. The suggestion that the incumbent market leader, with clear and enduring market power, could be foreclosed by the third largest provider as a result of losing access to one title is not credible. There are more than 4,000 games available on PlayStation alone. The evidence shows that less than... Uh, there's a little cut, a little scissors thing here, and I don't know if that's... I don't know exactly how that's working out. Uh, of PlayStation's monthly active users are playing Call of Duty. Even without all of those gamers, a highly improbable outcome from a hypothetical foreclosure strategy, the PlayStation gamer base would remain significantly larger than Xbox is today. Since the transaction was announced, Sony has acquired several game studios, including Bungie, developer of the popular online game Destiny 2, Haven's Studio, uh, Los Angeles and Savage Games, and a minority interest in From Software, the developer of the biggest game of 2022, Elden Ring, and other hit games. This complements Sony's existing minority shareholding in Epic Games, publisher of Fortnite, strong first-party game catalog, and extensive portfolio of exclusive arrangements with third-party publishers. There were over 280 exclusive first- and third-party titles on PlayStation in 2021, nearly five times as many as on Xbox. Kind of goes on from there about some other stuff. There's a section here called Theory of Harm, which is probably legalese for whatever else, but I thought the part I read to you was pretty interesting, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot more in here if you want to take a look at it. This chart that was in one of the articles I just read you is in there too. It's titled The Rise of Gaming Revenue Visualized, and it just grows and grows and grows. It's got all these different colors, and I don't really care enough to, to dig into that right now. Uh, GWA Albany. The Twitter account is WeAreGWAAlbany, tweeted this on October 18th. We are thrilled to announce that NLRB ruled in our favor to have an election of Albany QA testers at Blizzard. With 94% committed to winning the union, we look forward to counting ballots a month from today. So that's really cool, because that means they're going to get their union and... Microsoft has said that they will, you know, they will consider any unions or other things that were you know, done before they acquire Activision Blizzard King as valid. And they're going to, you know, if, if they get their union, then they're part of the union going into Microsoft is 
what I'm understanding. The Washington Post posted an article called Blizzard Albany, formerly Vicarious Visions, which worked on Diablo 2 Resurrected, among other things, uh, gets union vote green light. Here's a little bit from that article. In a Tuesday decision, the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, ruled that a group of 21 quality assurance testers at Blizzard Albany, formerly Vicarious Visions, could vote in a union election. Testers at Blizzard Albany argued in front of the board in August that they should be allowed to form a union on their own. Parent company Activision Blizzard countered that a broader number of workers, 88 employees at the Blizzard Albany studio working on Diablo games, should get to vote in the union. Labor experts have told the Washington Post that companies often seek to increase the size of the bargaining unit so that chances of a union vote succeeding are lower. This is called union busting for those of you unaware. And Let's see, there's a quote here from someone. I'm very happy and excited that we can move forward with voting for our union, said Amanda Lavin, associate test analyst at Blizzard Albany and member of the new bargaining unit. I hope that Activision Blizzard will set an example for companies everywhere by not engaging in further union busting and by working with us in good faith. Uh, Back in August, Activision Blizzard lawyers framed much of their argument in the Blizzard Albany hearing around the highly anticipated upcoming game Diablo 4, the dark fantasy action role-playing game in which players battle various Hellspawn is slated for release sometime next year. In the ruling, the NLRB dismissed Activision Blizzard's lawyers' argument that quality assurance testers working on different games don't belong in the same bargaining unit. Five of the testers work on Diablo 2 Resurrected, 15 work on Diablo four while one works on World of Warcraft. Because as you remember, as soon as this whole union thing started rolling uh, with this particular group of people, Blizzard went and just like broke them all up into different places. My guess is they were hoping that this would prevent them from being able to talk about unionizing with the other people that had been shifted to different parts of the company. I'm not sure about that, but it sure sounds like something they might have done. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, The NLRB notes that associate test analysts working on Diablo are paid $20.19 an hour, which adds up to a yearly salary of $41,995 if employees worked a full year with no weeks off. Meanwhile, employees in other departments earn $56,250 to $175,050, with designers earning the most. The low pay of testers helped differentiate the group from the rest of the employees at Blizzard Albany working on Diablo 4, according to the NLRB's decision. Um, on Tuesday evening, newly minted Chief Communications Officer Lulu Shang Mazervi messaged Activision Blizzard employees on the platform Slack that collective bargaining was time-consuming and that it prevented companies from giving pay increases without a special arrangement with the union, according to messages viewed by The Post. Mazervi joined the company's senior leadership team earlier this month. Most employees did not have permission to post a response to the Slack channel, so they downvoted her message instead. Hours later, Missouri replied to her own message in Slack, quote, I can hear the booing from here and have registered the disappointed dog emojis. Totally get that a lot of people don't love hearing from this side of the unionization issue. The NLRB will mail out ballots to eligible employees October 27. Voters in that group must return their ballots by close of business business on November 17. The ballot count will take place via video conference November 18. So I'm going to you know, leave you there with that one. There's a little bit more in there. Tech Jess, who's on top of things. Um, 
wrote to this in a tweet. New Activision Blizzard Union bust just dropped. The irony of the communications channel being locked and that they're still using the we'd like a direct communication line. Clown show. Little clown face emoji right there. How dare you undermine Game Workers Alliance when ABK refuses to bargain in good faith. And here's a screenshot of the Slack. Okay, it is definitely written by Lulu Missouri. That's her name right there. And here's some of what it says. Hey, all, quick heads up on something important. It's a long one, but want to be thorough, so thanks for bearing with me. This afternoon, the NLRB, parentheses, National Labor Relations Board, end of parentheses, determined that approximately 20 QA, parentheses, quality assurance, end of parentheses, testers working on Diablo in Albany will be eligible to form a union, and if the union wins the vote, that will be included in the bargaining unit. Where the company stands on that, a little colon there fully respects the NLRB process and fully supports the employees' rights to choose how they want to be represented. Also has the view that people who work closely together should be able to make decisions like that collectively, i.e. we disagree that a handful of employees should get to decide for everyone else on the future of the entire Albany-based Diablo team. We think a direct dialogue between company and employees is the most productive route. Examples, colon. Through direct dialogue, we've already converted contingent QA staff to full-time, increased pay, increased benefits, opened up access to the bonus program, and offered more opportunities for professional advancement, parentheses, which would also result in more pay. We feel collective bargaining is comparatively slow. Once agreement is in place, it takes over a year to, on average, according to a Bloomberg analysis, during the long contract negotiations, labor law forbids companies from giving any pay slash bonus slash benefits increases without a special arrangement with the union. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics has reported that non-union employees generally get larger pay raises than union represented groups. That's consistent with what we saw with Raven, where there have only been three bargaining sessions since the union was certified there almost six months ago, due partly to the union canceling pre-planned bargaining sessions for a month. I'm sharing all of that because having a streamlined process is a, is a reason why the company prefers direct discussions, but ultimately it's up to the employees and everyone should get to vote their own preference in a fair election. That's the part that gets me. Because... That is exactly what the Washington Post was talking about, where, oh, okay, it's like 20 people. Well, those 20 people should be able to vote on their union if they want one, but we think it should be the whole company so we can dilute it. That's kind of what's happening with that paragraph specifically. It continues, What happens next is that ballots will be mailed to eligible Albany-based employees on October 27 and need to be returned by November 17 and will get counted by the NLRB on November 18. More to come as the process continues, but we wanted to share ASAP. Thanks so much for reading, everyone. This is union busting. This is union busting. That's what they're doing. And to lock it so that they cannot, uh, you know, people working there can't respond directly to it. That's kind of garbage, in my opinion. Shannon Lau, L-I-A-U, works for Washington Post, and she tweeted this. Activision Blizzard Chief Communications Officer Lulu Chang Missouri told employees on Slack that unionization is time-consuming and could prevent employees from getting raises until a deal is reached. She was met with negative emojis. Shannon Lau continues, most employees did not have permissions to post a response to the Slack channel, so they downvoted her message instead. Hours later, Missouri replied to her own message in Slack, I can hear the booing from here and have registered the disappointed dog emojis. Now to me, 
having registered that means they are now tracking people who disagree with her opinion of uh, how unionization should go. Basically that it should not go. Um, so that's probably going to get some people in trouble over something stupid that this woman said, you know. Here's a tweet from Lulu Chang, Missouri. She is responding to another person who is a verified account uh, who does not work for Activision Blizzard, as far as I know. I might be wrong. Uh, it's got a podcast. Person says, LOL, just found out that Substack's right-wing PR hack left to go union busting for Activision Blizzard. And Lulu Chang, Missouri says, I'm curious what makes me right-wing, or is it not meant to be literal, but just an insult for defending the company's position that employees should consider reasons they might want to stay independent instead of becoming union members? This, too, is union busting. If she can get people to believe that, you know. And then the same person uh, who doesn't appear to work for Blizzard responded and said, what makes you right wing? The quote tweet in my tweet you're responding to is a great example. Here it is again in screenshot form in case you need a reminder. And here is a screenshot of her tweet. And let's see if I can pop that up here a little bit. She, uh, oh, that's from Shannon Liao. I already read that one to you. It's not from Lulu, but that's kind of where he was going with this. You know, that kind of sucks, right? That <laughs> just kind of sucks. And moving on to a more serious discussion than even unionization. Many of you this week or the past week have heard a lot about Amaranth. She's a streamer. She's a Twitch streamer. She's got a lot of people that follow her. And she unfortunately has been the victim of domestic violence in a number of ways. So some of this might trigger. I'm going to try to leave some of the trigger stuff out as much as possible for those who maybe have experienced this and don't want to hear this right now. You can skip ahead or you know, read it later or, you know, whatever works for you. So The Verge wrote an article titled, Twitch star Amaranth is safe, shares update on her abuse situation. Now, I didn't know who Amaranth was because I don't stream on Twitch. I follow a small handful of people. I'm sometimes on Twitch doing TTRPG games, but not on any of my, not on my channel, right? So um, I didn't really know who she was. And I'm, I'm a night owl. So if I miss somebody's stream and I'm like, oh, I wanted to see what they did in that game, I'll go watch their video. And I remember seeing Amaranth pop up a lot during the night. And it seemed to be for those like hot tub things that I don't, fully know exactly what those are for but it seemed like she was doing a lot and I'm like this is weird she just did one she's doing another one this is this is weird what's going on but I didn't have anything to to go from at that point so here's from The Verge talking about uh, Amaranth Caitlin Amaranth uh, Sergusa I'm gonna guess that's the right pronunciation uh, has revealed she and her pets are safe she is in control of her finances and her spouse is no longer living with her and seeking help. The news comes after the content creator, one of Twitch's most popular and highest paid, revealed she was a victim of intimate partner violence at the hands of her husband. During a stream on October 16th, Saragusa revealed she was married, a fact she said she was forced by her husband to keep secret in order to not, quote, ruin the business model, end quote. Clips of that stream circulated on social media featuring a tearful amaranth being berated by her husband over the phone. She shared that she was afraid to leave her house as he threatened to harm her pets and that all her financial accounts were controlled by him. She shared text messages between her and her husband in which he threatened to destroy her property and drain her bank account. Quote, he keeps you there with the fear and the threats, she said during the stream, and then he's nice again. That, that right there, that is a pattern that happens with people that are abusive to their spouses or loved ones, um, essentially. And um, I've been through a little bit of this myself in different ways, but not as bad as I think what she experienced. But who knows, right? 
Uh, to continue, Amaranth's stream ended abruptly, prompting concerns about her safety. The Verge reached out to both Twitch and her PR firm, but has not received a response. Amaranth has since confirmed her safety on, on stream on October 17th. Quote, as of today, I have access to all my accounts and finances again, she said, and I'm seeking legal and emotional counsel. She thanked her fans and friends who reached out to offer help and support, even expressing gratitude towards the people who disliked her. Quote, even haters are like, damn, I fucking hate Amaranth, but you know what? I hope she's okay. That's so nice, she said. But despite her gratitude toward well-wishers, Saragusa did share that there were people in her circle who exasperated the situation. She called out her now former cameraman, saying he used the situation for, quote, personal clout and gain, describing how he, during TwitchCon, quote, withheld information and, quote, sat on communication, which Saragusa said made the incident with her husband more explosive than it needed to be. Saragusa said the cameraman called the cops against her wishes, then left the convention, leaving her alone with her husband, a situation Saragusa called shitty, and then said the cameraman encouraged people she didn't know to show up at her door. Saragusa, who's been swatted, had her house catch fire in a suspected case of arson and stalked, said, I carefully guard my personal information and I don't think it should be unguarded without my consent, so I've been kind of fucked up about all that. She says the situation is calm for the moment and that now she's free. She's looking forward to being in control of the content she makes. Kotaku also has an article. It's titled Twitch streamer Amaranth says she's taking a break after disclosing abuse. The announcement comes days after Amaranth revealed that she was being abused by her husband. Two days after Caitlin Amaranth Siragusa regained control of her finances and social media accounts from her abusive husband, she announced that she would be taking a break from streaming and she's not sure when she would return. Siragusa is one of the top 50 most subscribed to streamers on Twitch and the most watched woman on the platform. She's known for very long streams, lasting 12 hours a day, pioneering the hot tub meta and making staggering amounts of money off social media and OnlyFans. In recent days, she's been he featured heavily in the news for a different reason. Here's a uh, looks like um, a tweet from her with a picture of her. She's smiling and uh, she wrote, taking a break, not sure when I'll be back and put a little purple heart. Yeah, she she said on stream she was in an abusive relationship with her husband. She accused him of coercing her to stream, forcing her to deny their marriage and threatening to kill her dogs. Uh, she also showed viewers text messages that were pretty threatening and she, that he would uh, give her money away, threaten to dump her luggage at a hotel, delete her social media accounts, this kind of thing. Siragusa's last stream from two days ago at the time this was written, this was written on Thursday of this week, lasted approximately 14 hours and she spent the first half of it grooming and riding horses. She's previously told Kotaku she wanted to build a sanctuary for horses. She didn't mention that she wanted to take a break from streaming, so it's likely that this decision was made relatively recently. Kotaku reached out to Siragusa to ask when she would be back on Twitch, but did not receive a response by the time of the publication, and then that tweet came out, um, and the comment section for that tweet apparently is very near-unanimously supportive. Um, telling her to take as much time as she needed and they'd be waiting for her when she comes back. Uh, but this is just really horrendous overall, you know, really horrendous. And, um, and I've been through a little bit of this, not exactly the same as what Saragusa, uh, you know, Amaranth went through, but um, it's not a thing to joke about. It's not a thing to say, oh, I don't believe you, you're lying, you're doing this for clicks or for money or for fame. All that kind of attitude is bullshit. You need to listen to people that are in these situations because it's not easy to come out to the world saying, hey, I'm being abused by a loved one 
or a partner or whatever, you know, it's not okay. And I know there's a guy whose name I'm not going to mention, but most of you probably know uh, who I would be talking about because this person, this guy decided he's got at least one or two YouTube channels that I've never looked at. And um, people were very upset with him in the past week because he was basically downplaying the seriousness of this situation with Amaranth. And that sucks. So if you're going to do that kind of stuff for your own gain, you're a terrible, terrible human and maybe should seek some counseling about why you feel the need to do that. And that's where I'm going to leave that part of this. Moving on to a little bit of Diablo stuff. Um, I'm going to start with my own experience. I was playing Diablo Mortal quite a bit lately and I'm trying to work on the Halloween thing. It's hallowed something and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. And it's like you can do trick-or-treating once a day if you can find the crone and you can travel there. They'll put you to right wherever, uh, whatever little encampment she's at at the moment. You can get one of these little things, one of these little items you need for stuff, I guess. And uh, this kind of thing. There's also some kind of, there's another one going on um, where you have to go, like the last thing I did was went through Zoten Cole's libraries to do all these cool quests that weren't, you know, that part of it was, I think, intended to be there for this series of, you know, finish all the things in a list, but I, they were new to me, so that was really fun, and I'm going to try again later and see if I can do some more of that, so that's basically what I've been doing as far as Diablo games. I'm also playing uh, a bunch of other non-Diablo games that have Halloween stuff in it, because I really like Halloween, so... That's what I've been doing. There's just a little bit here to go in the show. So it looks like uh, Wowhead said the Diablo 4 closed beta client is ready for download. That was posted five days ago. Some people are probably already playing it. It says players uh, almost one month ago, Blizzard announced their first closed beta test phase for Diablo 4. Players interested in participating had to update their Battle.net account settings until October 11 and most likely will be invited in in waves until November 18. Now... I did get one of these. I did get one of these, um, hey, come do this. I wasn't sure if it was spam or not because it was in there twice in my email, one of my emails. And I'm on a Mac. I don't think this is going to run on a Mac. And I don't think the beta is for, like, Xbox, as far as I can tell. So I have it, but I can't actually use it. And that kind of sucks. But whatever. I mean... Eventually, this game is going to be out probably on Xbox. I don't think they're going to put it on a Mac um, because there's a lot of things that don't run on a Mac. The very first Overwatch game would not was not at all designed for a Mac. The new one, same, you know, <laughs> same kind of thing. So um, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of like, I really want to play Diablo 4 and I hope I get to, but I'm not sure how to make that work right now. So those of you that are in the beta and all of that, the closed endgame beta, which that's the thing that they sent out to people that they think are in endgame content. And let me tell you, Blizzard, you overestimate my abilities very, very much. I just barely ever make it to endgame content. Uh, you know, so I don't know. So I'm just, I'm not doing it because I'm just going to, like, if I try to do it and they want me to do it on a PC, I'm going to be really disappointed. So I'm just not going to go there. You know, somebody else can have my spot basically with this because... This is what they do if you're running on a Mac. So anyway, there's that. Also about Diablo 4, Echo Hack has a video on YouTube. I think it's called The Paper Doll, Diablo 4's Approach to Cosmetics and Inventory Design. And so you want to check that out because he knows what he's doing with these videos. His videos to me always seem very reliable and well-researched and he explains it very well. And sometimes he puts in like little story lore kind of things as well. So go check that out if you're interested in that. And then the last thing I have here is that 
that Rex Antarex has placed Challenge Rift 278 NA Guide, North America Guide uh, for Diablo 3 into the Reddit. And everything I talked about today will be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. And that's where I'm going to end the show. You have been listening to episode 382 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in game, our in game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone in Diablo Immortal and also in Diablo 3. But the, the way the game goes, it keeps knocking me out of access to my clan and Diablo Immortal for some reason. It's there. I just have to go through the whole shadow thing again. But anyway, um, both of those are open to anyone who would like to join. You can also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. Find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page, as well as on the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. and a member of the New Bargaining Union. Unit. Oh my God, my dyslexia is off the charts. Let's try this again, okay?